Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to take what I'm about to say very loosely. We will be in Ephesians 5 eventually. <laughs> like 45 minutes from now. No, uh, hopefully not that long. But, uh, but we are going to kind of set our minds in Ephesians 5 just by reading um, the call, the command to husbands and wives. You see Ephesians 5 verse 22 says this, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is the, the high call of the husband and the wife. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, we thank you that we get to gather here today that we get to praise your name, we get to enjoy one another, and we get to search your word together. Um, Hear its meaning and discuss its application, and I pray that uh, our minds would be sharp and our ears would be ready to hear, um, to understand what your word has to say, um, so that our lives can be transformed and changed according to it and formed by it. We pray this all in in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to answer three burning questions that you all have. Three burning questions about marriage and dating tonight. Three burning questions. Question number one, why should I? (laughs) That'll be a hard one for some of you to get through. Uh, Question number two, who should I date? Uh, Question number three, when should I date? Uh, Why should I date? Why should I pursue marriage? Who should I pursue in marriage? And when should I pursue in marriage? Uh, Our points are going to kind of be an answer to that and also kind of provide an outline for you as well. Um, The first first question, why should you, here is the point, rejoice, rejoice in God's gracious gift. Rejoice in God's gracious gift. You, You should rejoice. That's what you're called to do as a human being, not just as a Christian, but as a human being, but especially as a creature who believes the word of God, you should rejoice in the gracious gift that God gives you in marriage. Now, as we talked about last week, our culture has a dim view of marriage, doesn't it? And uh, as you recall from last week, the devil wants us to have a dim view, a low view of marriage. Hey, our culture says to us, maybe later, or maybe never, after I've done a lot of big and important things that give me a sense of fulfillment and sense of purpose, then I'll maybe pursue marriage, but only you know so that I can live this dream about having kids. Or maybe our culture tells us, and, and we're tempted to think, right, that, that marriage or a family will actually hinder our dreams, hinder our desires, hinder our purpose, hinder our sense of self-fulfillment. Marriage, family hinders you. It holds you back. It keeps you from being all that you can be, all that you can be. I've got a surprise for you, Maybe. Here's, a, here's, the, here's the surprise. God's purpose for marriage probably does actually do that. It probably actually does hinder or provide a barrier for all that you want to be. All of your goals, your dreams for you, yourself, and you. It probably will keep you from that. And here's a shock for you as well. That just might be the best thing you could have happen to your life. 
to have you hindered and put aside for a moment of time. Because your goals, your dreams, your desire, if you are living in sin, will lead you to death. And maybe marriage is God's way of pointing you away from yourself. But of course, marriage will only point you away from yourself if it also points you to Christ as well. Let's talk about God's purpose. God's purpose for marriage, of course, you're probably familiar with this, but we should go over these again and again because these concepts are so under assault in our day and age. God's purpose for marriage is a lifelong, committed relationship between a man and a woman to showcase God's wisdom, God's grace, and God's glory. Uh, God's design for marriage is that it's lifelong. It's an exclusive, committed relationship between a man and a woman, and only a man and a woman. And, And through this design, it actually showcases God's glory, and it actually showcases God's grace, and it actually showcases God's perfect wisdom. God shows his wisdom through this. There's a verse in Proverbs that says this, Proverbs 18.22. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor from the Lord. Marriage is favor from God. Marriage is most favorable to you if you are a believer and you can experience all of the benefits that marriage has for you in in the spirit-filled life. But it's also, get this, marriage is also favor to humanity in general. A marriage isn't just for believers. Marriage is a, a common grace that God gives all people. It is an expression of favor. Anyone who finds a wife finds a good thing. And in a sense, anyone who finds a wife finds a piece of favor from the Lord. But, but how much more? A believer. We've, we've looked at it plenty of times, but Genesis 2.18 says this, it's not good for man to be alone. And you, you recall the, the truth, right? Even you on your best state, even you in your best state, were made, were made to need and want companionship. You weren't made to be alone. Regardless of who you are, you weren't made to be alone. It is not good, the Lord says, even before the fall, that man should be alone. That's why God has given us a gracious gift in marriage. He's given mankind a gracious gift. Most of you probably will get married. Probably will. And, and, and how is marriage a gracious gift? Let me just give you a few reasons why marriage is a gracious gift. Uh, godly marriage especially, that's what I'm really going to be focusing on, a God-centered God, uh, God-glorifying marriage provides the following things. It provides, it provides close companionship. It provides a close companionship. It provides the possibility for perhaps the closest friendship that two humans can have on this earth. At least that's God's design. Some people don't look for friendship in their marriage, and that is where they are shooting themselves in the foot because marriage is, by God's design, the opportunity for the closest friendship that we can have on earth. You you were made to have companionship, and you were made to enjoy this specifically, especially in a marriage relationship. Ultimately, a marriage is not a baby-making factory. It's 
Also not somewhere just for sex or personal pleasure or anything like that. Ultimately, marriage, if you think about it, according to Genesis 2.18, is about companionship, finding someone to be with in this life for the whole of the life. That's why you get married, because you want to be with someone. It's strong fellowship. And think about this. It can, it can form this great relationship, this strong unity that helps you serve others in the church and, and pursue your own gifts to glorify God in this world. Marriage is a great friendship that strengthens you for what God has called you to do in this life. It's a close companionship. But godly marriage also provides a sweet refuge. It also provides a sweet refuge. Song of Solomon, if you dare to open those pages, paints a return, in a sense, to the beauty and to the joy and to the happy, happiness and to the innocence of the garden. It's full of garden-like imagery because it's, it's almost saying like marriage is a return to this. It's, it's a refuge almost from, from the world. And from sin, in a sense, it can be a refuge. The world may hate God, and the world may hate his Christ, but here, in marriage, you can find a sweet fellowship, a sweet refuge that is joined together in a love for God, joined together for strength and service together, sweet pleasure together to the glory of God. It can be actually a sweet refuge in a God-hating world. And it's a sweet refuge because it's, it's dependent on love, not the kind of wishy-washy Hollywood kind of I feel like I'm in love kind of love, but it's dependent on a love that isn't performance-based at all. I'm going to love you as long as you're lovable. That's not what makes it a sweet refuge. No, it's a sweet refuge because it's... De- dependent on a biblical kind of love, a kind of love that commits itself totally to the other in loyal relationship, exclusive love. I'm going to love and choose to love you alone. And that's why it provides such a sweet refuge. That actual commitment, by the way, usually follows with feelings and affections. Your choices will be followed by feelings, and even strong passions. And, and that kind of commitment produces the closest feelings. It's, it's a choice. It's a commitment. Uh, one, one man, um, Brian Biedebach, says this, uh, choose your love and then love your choice. That's what you do in marriage. You choose your love and you love your choice. Godly marriage also provides another thing. It provides, it provides pleasure with purity pleasure with purity. We live in a world that's desperate for pleasure. But what we ourselves know in our heart and in our conscience that there's something corrupt about this. And if you know your Bibles, you know there, this, this, this pleasure seeking that the world goes, off, goes after doesn't satisfy you. And it, and it also cuts you off from a relationship with God. But in marriage, God provides us with a way to pursue pleasure in purity. What a glorious thought for you young people. I can pursue pleasure. There's nothing worse, I would say, for uh, sex and anything like that than um, insecurity, fearfulness, worry, 
doubt. I don't know if I'm going to see this guy again. If I don't please him enough. There's nothing worse for actual uh, sexual bliss than that kind of fear. And there's, I would say, also nothing like sex in a solid relationship full of commitment. It is a joyful thing. It is a wonderful thing. And in godly marriage, you can actually pursue pleasure to the glory of God. And it's an extraordinary thing. Marriage is also a great way to avoid immorality in this way. You pursue pleasure and it helps you to avoid immorality. But in godly... In God's wise design, he actually made us creatures that enjoy and experience pleasure. And here is a way that we can experience pleasure to, believe it or not, the glory of God. But also, godly marriage also provides the best place to raise kids. Uh, Not only your pleasure, but also your kids are impacted by insecurity. Uh, A a single mom home is a a terrible place for kids to grow up in. Kids thrive. It's always proven. Kids thrive in in a home of two committed parents that are ultimately committed to each other. That is where children thrive. It's the best place to raise children. Also, marriage provides... Marriage provides you with a mirror of sanctification, a mirror for sanctification. Our own pastor uh, refers to marriage like walking around with a mirror all day. You're constantly seeing your sin all day. And that's actually a great grace. If you are a child of God and you hate your sin, you want sanctification in your life, even if it's painful. And marriage actually is God's greatest way of sanctifying you. Matter of fact, you you must put on humility daily in marriage if you're going to put on love. If you're going to purposely seek someone else above yourself, you have to be constantly denying yourself and putting on humility. Remember we talked about the man who isolates himself, how he's self-seeking? Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying the person who doesn't get married is self-seeking, not all the time. But I, I, I am saying it is possible to avoid sanctification through avoiding people that you have difficulties with. And just because you're married, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean you can't avoid, you can't, you can't, you can't be an isolator of yourself even in marriage. marriage. Some people isolate themselves through their marriage, with their marriage, by their marriage. But marriage ultimately is a great way of sanctification if you are married to a believer and you are a believer yourself. But finally, I would say marriage provides ultimately a powerful picture of God's love. Because even in our best marriages, we only have a dim picture, a dim picture of God's great love for us and Christ's great love for us. Christ loved us while we were weak. Christ committed to us while we were miserable. Christ determined to show his love for us while we were sinners. That is the picture of marriage that is shown, even dimly through our marriage, God's greater love. Oh, what do you do with that? How, how do you apply that? These are, these are why, why you should have a, have, a, have a glorious, rejoicing spirit in marriage. What's the application? It's obvious, right? You should rejoice and you should elevate marriage because it displays God's wisdom and God's glory and God's favor. God's gift to you very well, young person, is marriage. And you should rejoice in it and you should elevate it. You should be continually believing God about what marriage is 
and refusing to believe what society says marriage is. You should, you should strive to elevate it and keep it pure even in your own mind and in how you prepare. But you should also rejoice, and I would say, pursue it. You should rejoice and pursue it. Yes, you should, even right now, even in your seats, as you're listening to this message, seek to make yourself more and more, every single day, more marryable. You should rejoice and pursue it. Don't waste your youth on passions and pleasures that fade and that pass. Use your youth preparing for one of God's great gifts. Like we've said in, year, in weeks past, right? Relationships, and, and if, if a marriage is truly ultimately a companionship, it's a, if it's a relationship, if it's your best friendship, relationships require skill. Are you working on your skill of relationship now, or are you just simply assuming you'll become a master of friendship when you get married? If you're assuming that you'll get good in that day, you're a fool. And you will be sanctified by marriage. But if you work on yourself now, you may be decreasing the bumps in marriage. And what a great gift that would be. I'd say, marryable isn't just about your age. Hey, I'm 21 now, I'm ready for marriage. It's about readiness. It's about preparation. And often it includes a resume. (laughs) Right? You can prepare yourself right now. So, young man, how quickly can you get yourself to a place where you can lead and support a young woman to follow you? And and young woman, uh, likewise, how quickly can you ready yourself to be a helper, a supporter, a strengthener? That's not natural. You have to work on that. You you should rejoice in marriage and also pursue it. Pursue it even now. I want to grow in graces, particularly the graces of relationship, to prepare myself for marriage because I believe that it's God's grace, it's God's favor, and it is for God's glory if I do. Let's answer another question, though. Who should I seek? Who should I seek? We, we talked about why should you seek, but let's answer the question of who should you seek. And here's my second point for who you should seek. Seek a companion suited for maximum closeness. Seek a companion suitable for maximum closeness. Now that sounds like a weird thing. It sounds like you're going to a store and trying on clothes, I know. But let's think about this for a second. Ultimately, it is your choice who you marry. You may try to, you know, push it off on your parents. But ultimately, it's your choice. Uh, Remember, though, right now, your calling is a little different than your calling will be when you are married. When you are married, in marriage, your calling will be to love your choice. Love your choice. Love your choice. But right now, your calling is to choose your love. And you can be very wise about that. And I would exhort you to be wise about who you choose. Because the love that you choose is the love that you have to love. Uh, What's a wise choice? Once again, maybe you see from the title here, choose a chosen companion suited for maximum closeness. Suited for maximum closeness. Someone that can be with you in as many seasons as possible can be uh, uh, joined to you in unity 
in as many seasons as possible. I've got a few news flashes for you, a few news flashes in case you didn't know this already. But if you are drawn to someone only for their looks, news flash, age happens. Amen from the back row. No. Age happens. And they might not look so good forever. Unless, of course, they're my wife and they're eternally young. Um, if you're drawn to someone, if what draws you together is simply children, hey, I think this guy would make a great dad. Or, hey, we already have kids, so we better get married. Or, hey, I just want to be a mom. This guy will work. I don't know if you guys think that way. Probably not. I should be more loving and generous towards you. But if, if what draws you together is children, newsflash, children eventually leave. And then what will you do? Or newsflash, what if you can't have kids? Or, or if what draws you together is pleasure or desire or, or something like that, newsflash, what happens when you get old and you have inabilities? And age makes things impossible. What do you do then? What do you cling to then? Or if what draws you together is money, he's rich. Her parents are rich. <laughs> How come it's always that way? Uh, no. <laughs> Newsflash, money has wings and money leaves. What will you do when times aren't so good? And oh, what, what, if what's drawing you to marriage is maybe this idea that you're going to escape trouble, escape trial, or escape sin, newsflash, you're marrying a fallen sinner who's going to bring their sin with you. And also, newsflash, you're a sinner too. Choose a companion rather that doesn't have to depend on anything greater than a simple, sweet companionship and friendship together. Matter of fact, a close companionship grows, grows through the richer and through the poorer seasons of life. If you're clinging to something higher than all of these things, if you are together clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ and loving him more and seeking sanctification in his likeness more, that is something that will never be taken away from you. Even when your life is hard, even when your life is difficult, Jesus is still on the throne and he is still seeking to sanctify you. Two additional thoughts for seeking a close companionship that's suited for maximum closeness. Close companionship cannot happen if you're unequally yoked. If you are a believer and the other person is an unbeliever, all that favor and all of that joy that's promised to you in marriage will be lost. And, and all of the upsides that you had going for this guy, he's the only one available, right, will be worthless because you will not share ultimate Unity on the most important point. Ladies, don't follow a guy who can't lead himself spiritually. Don't do that. Guys, don't follow a girl who will chain herself to you forever and go nowhere spiritually. The person you link yourself spiritually to will either drag you down or lift you up. 
Another additional thought for a close companion. Close companionship with a fool is suicide. Now, we've talked a lot about fools and their behavior. I do want to say, uh, give you a little resource here. A little, a little, a little fill in the blanks, yes or no, if you will. Uh, am I marrying a fool, yes or no? So someday when you're, when you're pursuing a guy or a girl or, or something like that, just kind of run through this list and say, is this person a fool? <laughs> you know, this is a little resource. Actually, I got this from this little booklet called The Companionship Principle by Joel James. I tried to print it out in like 40, but for some reason the printer wasn't working. But if you want a really interesting guide for dating, uh, bringing biblical sanity to the insanity of dating, just give me, uh, give me a ring and I can give you this booklet. It's very helpful for dating and thinking through this, even as a young person like yourself. But here, ask yourself a question about the person you want to like. Is this person a fool? Uh, number one, ask yourself, does he or she enjoy gossip? Does, does he or she participate in gossip? Proverbs 10.18 says, He who covers up hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads a bad report is a fool. Notice, notice the picture there. They... They, they, they cover up their hatred and they cover up their lying lip, but really what they want to do is spread, spread a bad report about someone, but that person's a fool and you should stay far away from them. Or think about this, is he or she always right in their own eyes? Can they not be argued with? Can they not receive criticism? Proverbs uh, twelve fifteen says, The way of an ignorant fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Does this person refuse to listen to anyone outside of their own opinion? Do they, do they only talk to people who agree with them? Is he or she right in his own eyes? Uh, does he or she despise their parents? Does he or she distance themselves from their parents? Proverbs 15.20 says this, A wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish son despises his mother. Don't marry someone that despises their mother. Uh, Number four is he or she quick to a fight. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips come with strife and his mouth calls for beatings. Do you want to attach yourself to someone that likes beatings? Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, It is a glory of a man to cease quarreling, but ignorant fools break out in disputes. Are you about to link yourself to someone who's always fighting? Because guess who that person's going to fight with next? You. (laughs) Is he or she faithful in the tasks that they are given? Do they finish their work? Do they hold a job? Proverbs 26.6 says, he, this is vivid, um, 26.6, he cuts off his own feet and drinks violence who sends words by the hand of a fool. Does anybody trust this guy? Or does he cause problems? Or, or Proverbs 26.10, like an archer who wounds everybody, or like you, uh, you know, in archery, uh, like an archer that that wounds everybody, so is he who hires a fool or who hires those who pass by, right? Can't be trusted. All you do is create more damage. Is that the person you're interested in? No, another one, another valuation. Does he or she value their pride over their integrity? Are they willing to lie, to twist the truth? 
to change the story because they value their own pride, what other people think of them, more than they think, I need to own this. I need to tell what's right. I need to be honest about where I failed here. Proverbs 14.9 says, Ignorant fools scoff at guilt. Proverbs 19.1 says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked in lips and is a fool. It's better to be with someone who is poor and honest than someone who is rich and full of lies. And finally, does he or she have a short fuse? We've already seen this a little bit, but Proverbs 19.11, a fool lets out all of his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. Once again, if this person always is letting out their opinions about everyone and all of their thoughts about anyone in their life, they're going to release that on you as well. All to say, all to sum up, choose your love carefully, because one day God will call you to love your choice. That is what you should do. You should be wise about who you choose. A helpful guide to also decide on who would be to answer this next question. When should I? Now, this is the one you're very interested in. Notice all the guys start writing. When can I do this? Here's an answer in the point that I'm going to give you, and you're going to be so disappointed by this. Prepare today for the best I do's later. Prepare today for the best results. When should you start? You should start today. In a sense, today is the day for you to be preparing yourself and pursuing marriage in some real way. And you're like, wait, 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 David, rule number five, time out here. (laughs) Well, remember, I said preparing. Preparing yourself. I would say you have many opportunities to prepare for marriage today in a very real way. Once again, uh, right now you have relationships in your life that are giving you sanctification for a greater and higher relationship later if you pursue them with humility and grace and seek to grow by them. Even now you can be working and pursuing your schoolwork in such a way that's motivated to, to best prepare yourself to be a helper or to be a leader or to be a provider or something like that. And I would even say to ladies too, yes, you can, through work experience, through school, actually prepare yourself to be a great service and a great help and a great marriable woman for some guy. You can even prepare today. Why? Because the one who is most prepared now is most marriable later. Your your real question, though, I know, it's, it's when, though, David? When can I start doing this? I don't want to know about this whole preparation now. Don't be sneaky dangerous on me. I don't care about that. I want to know when. Chapter and verse. Okay, I'll give you a chapter and verse that tells you exactly what you want to know. When can I start getting married? Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents. And that is lame. Never mind. Okay, I, there is no verse, just wisdom. Here, I will give you, how many do I have? Four wins. Four wins. You know you're ready for marriage. Win. Are you ready? Win number one. This is not win, W-I-N by the way. That would make no sense. W-H-E-N. When you're ready for marriage, when you're ready to leave and cleave. 
Think about it. <laughs> if you can't leave your parents' house and survive, <laughs> don't be doing that. Realistically, though. <laughs> are you ready, realistically, to work hard? Are, are you ready to have less money? Are you ready to go without a few things? Are you ready to live in a slightly uh, not-so-nice part of town? Are, are you ready to work hard? Because the first years of marriage often, if you're actually pursuing it well, will be thinner, will be a little bit harder, but it doesn't matter because you're married. I like to think about Serena, all the things she had to leave to marry me. It boosts my pride, I'm sure, probably in a bad way. But do you know what Serena had to leave to cleave to me? She had to leave a very nice neighborhood and move downtown with me into a place where there was constant noise outside our front window. She had to move into a, a very bad house that had a smoke smell. In retrospect, we should have rented something else, but hey, it was cheap. <laughs> she had to lose her Hollywood last name. That's, you don't, never mind about that. Serena Day it was just a dream, but now she's Serena Papillon. She had to leave a dad who could fix everything to hitch herself to me who can fix nothing. She had to leave uh, the ability to go to Starbucks every single day. I know, shocker. She had to leave her mother's cooking and her mother's shopping, and she had to cook every single meal. I mean, I, I sometimes cooked. We'll leave it at that. But are you ready to leave and cleave? Are you ready to sacrifice? And, but gentlemen, are you ready to provide? Are you ready to exist and live for longer than two minutes outside of your dad's wallet? That's what you have to do. When you are ready to leave and cleave, you are ready to be married. Or how about this when? When you're ready to serve. When you are ready to serve. Want to see... Just the quality of one of the best marriages. It has this spirit to it. Uh, 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 Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse 3. Uh, this would be a great marriage to be a part of. With two people with this mindset. What are they doing? They, they are doing this. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Having this mind, thinking as Jesus Christ would think. Are you ready to put on the towel and serve someone 24-7? That's what's required of someone who gets into marriage. Not thinking of themselves and putting someone else's needs, someone else's desires above themselves. And I know you're saying, oh, I can do that. Then do it. Do it right now. Practice, train, say, I'm going to intentionally put my mother's needs, boys, my mother's needs ahead of my own, my mother's thinking ahead of my own. Just do it for 24 hours. Tell me how that goes. It is hard, it takes work, it is discipline, it is a grace developing in you. Another win, 
Uh, when are you ready for marriage? When you're ready to serve someone else? But also, I would say, when you are actually content with the opportunity of singleness. When you are content with the opportunity of singleness. Now, I, I recognize that this sounds very counterintuitive. I, I, I don't want to confuse you, though. I'm not actually talking about something called the gift of singleness that we see in 1 Corinthians 7. That is something where someone um, is willing and able to stay single and pure for their whole life. It's a gift of God in order to serve the church or serve Christ. They don't have a desire for marriage. That is a special gift that some people, very few people have. But they all, you always know who they are because they're giving themselves to the church and they can do it in purity and they don't drag their feet. They're not groaning and complaining. I do not have the gift of singleness. I tried for a while. I lasted for two minutes with the gift of singleness. But it did not go well. But some people have that special gift. But I'm, I'm not actually talking about that. I am talking about are you content with the opportunities provided for you through your singleness? Until you're content with this situation in life, How do you know you're going to be content with any other situation in life? Are you content in the life that God gives you now? Are you saying, hey, there's things I'm striving for in the future, but I am seeking all that God has for me right now in the life that he has given me? It will not likely be lifelong, but maybe for a few years of your life, you have been given an opportunity that you'll never have again, and that is to be single and serve Jesus harder right now than you could later. God uses single people for extraordinary service in his church. And by the way, if you're doing this, you're, you're, not, you're not signing your name to be, you know, you're, you're not becoming an old maid for the rest of your life if you decide to do this for two years. Some of the women that I have looked up to most in my life have been women who have not gotten married right away, but in their singleness have used it for extraordinary good for other people and for the local church. They're just extraordinary women. And all of them that I know of have gotten married. Singleness, though, in the Bible you see this. It's not a leprosy. It's not a disease. It's not a a curse. It's a great opportunity. That's what singleness is. How are you going to use the opportunity that God has given you now? Once again, if you embrace the opportunities that you have now in singleness to serve Christ and others, you are making yourself more fit, more ready for a marriage of service to another. Once again, you're ready for marriage when you're ready to serve. And you're ready to serve when you're content serving wherever you are in life. Final win. Final win, and we'll close it down. You're ready for marriage when... You learn how to be filled with the Spirit. Remember like 45 minutes ago when I said Ephesians 5? Hold it loosely. Jump back to Ephesians 5 really quick. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Then, of course, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives. How do you do this? Is that just something you just automatically do? No, let me suggest to you tonight that these relationships, husband and wife, 
being able to do this, being subject to your own husband like this, a husband loving your wife as yourself, giving yourself up for her to sanctify her, to cleanse her, to preserve her needs above your own. Wife, likewise, to, to subject yourself to your husband and to prefer his needs above your own. The only way you can do this is through being filled with the Spirit. You probably see that verse uh, 22, wives, be subject to your own husband. Notice the be subject part is kind of, you know, leaning, which is also known as italics. That means that the verb there is being assumed from the verse ahead, from the verse on top. So, uh, see, verse 21, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, wives, to your own husbands. The same thing. You should have that same subjective quality to your husband, or you should subject yourself to your husband as to the Lord in the fear of Christ as well. But you'll also notice that verse 21 is is not the full sentence. It is describing a quality that is a fruit of something else. And it, it goes back, verse 20, see that it. this is also someone who not only um, is willing to submit themselves to others, but also they're willing to give thanks in all things. And this is someone who was also able to sing songs, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to their heart in the Lord. Who is this person that can do this? What kind of person does that? Because whoever can speak like that, think like that, be like that, would be someone that I would want to be with. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine someone who's who is willing to constantly put themselves aside for someone else, for anyone else? Can, can you imagine being with someone so full of the joy of Christ that they're constantly praising him? Can you imagine someone who is always giving thanks? That's the cheat code to purity. That's the cheat code to anxiety. That's the cheat code to life. Who is that person? Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. This is the main verb, for that is dissipation, main command, but be filled with the Spirit. This is not talking about the Spirit indwelling you like the Spirit does when you are first a believer. This is talking about the Spirit controlling you, dominating you. You see the the contrast there between being drunk with wine and being dominated, controlled by the Spirit. Who is the person that is controlled by the Spirit? Well, we know in the cross-reference passage of Colossians 3.16 that this is someone who is, who is filled and dominated by the Spirit because they are filled and dominated and controlled by the Word of God. This is someone who oh, is filled with the Word of God and obeys the Word of God through the power of the Spirit because where the Word of God is, the Spirit is there and you are strengthened to obey through the Spirit. And that is the kind of person who is speaking like this, thinking like this, and behaving like this. And that is the kind of person who willingly puts herself under someone else as to the Lord. And that is someone who loves sacrificially someone else because the Lord Jesus Christ has loved him. You're ready for marriage when you're filled with the Spirit, when you have a life dominated by obedience and controlled by the Spirit overflowing with thankfulness, overthrowing with praise, and overthrowing with, uh, overflowing with a submissive spirit. That's when you're ready for marriage. But can you imagine the kind of marriage like that? 
Can you imagine the fellowship of that kind of marriage? Can you imagine the conflict in that kind of marriage or lack thereof? Can you imagine the service in that kind of marriage? The joy, the love, and the fellowship. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this evening, for your word. And we pray that we would be stirred just a little bit more to seek your glory. Be willing to sacrifice ourselves for your honor and for your praise. Amen.